We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is week three of the Ted Lasso rewatch, and as always with these Ted Lasso episodes, I am joined by my co-host, the wonderful Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm doing great. Alex, forget soccer for one minute. You got to watch actual SEC tournament college baseball this week. How was that? It, wonderful. Still watching it. So I have, so my alma mater, the University of Mississippi, they are playing tomorrow and Saturday. So I have tickets to both of those games <laughs> and, and we'll see how it ends up. But I haven't, I haven't been to a college baseball game in two years. So this was big. Like I was just so happy to be back in like a stadium atmosphere again. I was really excited for you. I get to go to my first minor league game in over, you know, almost two years uh, next week, I think. And I am just, I could not be, could not be more excited. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than getting to go and be there and absorb the atmosphere. It's wonderful. Literally nothing better. And also our kids are the same age and now they're the age where you can take them to the game and last more than a couple innings, which is great. We made it six innings the other night, so <laughs> I'm That's hoping huge. Maybe, maybe we can go for seven or eight or, hey, even the whole game this weekend. We'll see. That's huge. High hopes. Uh, Alex, promo your other pod so we don't get in trouble. Oh, okay. Um, I always do this poorly. I'm on another podcast called Ain't Slayed Nobody. It's a role-playing game, like tabletop role-playing game podcast, like Dungeons and Dragons, but for SEC fans. And we make jokes and we're a lot of fun. You can find us everywhere. Perfect. Perfect. I think you did a, I think you did a great job. And folks, okay. if you're enjoying these Ted Lasso episodes, let us know in the form of a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a friend about them, preferably like a, like a nice friend. Like tell whoever yeah. your Nate is. Tell your Nate. Don't tell your Jamie. We all have a Jamie. Don't get your snarky friends in our comments or in our mentions. Thank you. No, we don't We don't want those. But for real, thank you to everyone who has tuned into the first two episodes so far, especially, of course, Brené Brown, who remains on the open invite list, despite not having reached out yet. 
Yeah, she hasn't reached out yet, but I'm sure she's just absorbing our episodes. I'm sure she is. She's on, <laughs> she's on the ultra-exclusive open invite list to this podcast, which, as I gave it some thought, is actually not that exclusive, but mm-hmm. uh, she's definitely on it. Good. It's like her, Obama, either one, Spencer Hall. Uh, Maybe anyone from the, Ted Lasso. <laughs> anyone, lit- oh, the, yeah, they're uh, literally anyone from Ted Lasso. <laughs> That's good. We should mention they're all, that. They're all welcome. Yeah, they absolutely. Um, but let's get into it. Ted Lasso, episode three, Trent Krim, The Independent. To arrange an in-depth expose, Rebecca pairs a cynical journalist, Trent Krim, with Ted for a day. Ted and Roy ventured into the community. That is, that's, that's kind of a, it's kind of an awkward, an awkward uh, write-up from IMDb there, but uh, there's actually some trivia on this one. Ted, ge- Ted Lasso gives each player on the team a book, presumably to help each of them embrace their role within the team. This tactic was employed by legendary NBA coach Phil Jackson. That just made me think of how great it would be to have some sort of skit of Ted Lasso coaching the MJ Bulls. <laughs> Can you imagine? Ted Lasso and Rodman is uh is a match oh my gosh I you know I wonder too like I know that they're up for three seasons but this is the kind of show I could totally see becoming a movie you know kind of like Arrested Development style like are they going to continue on when they're done telling the story so maybe maybe we could get some like college basketball action he can coach anything so He's versatile. I would love to see. Te- <laughs> I would love to see like an extended series of Ted Lasso just coaching different things, just kind of moving around, working his magic. <laughs> like, um, oh, what's that show on Netflix about the community college? Last Chance U, where it's just yes. him going to different community colleges <laughs> and helping kids like rediscover themselves and believe in themselves. Ted Lasso coaching JUCO basketball is something Incredible. I think we all we all need. <laughs> we all um, need that. <laughs> As far as opening questions, I have two again. I, okay. I, I can never I can never pick one. Um, That's okay. I'll open with I'll open with one, and it's something that was given to me by the episode. Who would win in arm wrestling, Rebecca or Michelle Obama? I'm gonna say Rebecca because she has more of a chip on her shoulder. Yeah, I think she's a little she's a little angrier. Yeah, in terms of like Rebecca in that episode, I would say if she had to arm wrestle Michelle Obama, she would probably win. But they both have incredible arms. Let's say that. So that they do. That's a wonderful joke. I love that part just because when you watch it, you're drawn to her arms anyway. It's something about the top she's wearing. And I, like, I remember the first time I watched it, I looked, I was like, wow, she looks amazing. And then they make the Michelle Obama comment. I'm like, that's, that's nice. I like that. They They're both arm, arm icons. Yes. Do you have an opening question? I do. What is a book that changed your life? Book that changed my life. And it could hmm. be... Preferably from your youth, because to me, the books that were big to me came from my youth. So I always go, I mean, and this is the most cliche answer on the planet. I always go back to Harry Potter and what that series meant to me. And that has kind of gotten soured of late, which is a real shame. Um, You know what book, I don't know if it changed my life, but that I just, it always sticks with me is the is the book Slumdog Millionaire, which was called Q and A before Slum before it was you know became a movie and was Slumdog Millionaire. It's just mm-hmm. something I, I think about that book perhaps once a month. I really I really love it. I've, I know there's more. Um, there's a book called Bull Catcher, which is a base. It's like a baseball book, and it's like a I, I I'm probably the only person in the world who has read this, but it's about this. This high school high school baseball player who's a senior, it's kind of like a young adult novel, who 
his senior project is writing like a diary of his four years playing baseball in high school. And it's a really good coming of age book. And it's, it's something that like I, when I was in college, I bought it off eBay just because I, I wanted the book. So it may be something like that. But if anyone else in the world has read that book, holler at me, I'd love to talk it with, talk about it with anyone else. <laughs> what is your Do a spinoff podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I, I have a few. So I think, um, when I was really young, like six or seven, I started reading the Boxcar Children. And I can't really tell you why I loved that series so much, but I just, I was fascinated by the story of a family of children who lived in this boxcar. I thought it was very sad and, and incredible. And it was made in a way that was supposed to appeal to kids. And I ate it up. But I think that series is what made me want to be a writer because I wanted to do it from a very young age. And then when I got older, I would say like um, The Outsiders. That was a big oh, one for me. All Slake, time Slake's Limbo. All time seventh grade reading book, The Outsiders. Yes. Like I loved those middle school junior high reads because they got like a little into it. And it's the only way you can like teach inappropriate things in <laughs> school is if it's in a book. You can't show movies about it. But I, yeah, I think a lot of the books I read when I was younger, I think they were just transformative because of the way they told stories and storytelling. And I think that has a lot to do with why we were sitting here today is because we love good storytelling. That's why we made this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes me just want, I just want to think about books I enjoyed as a youth and just and just go off into like a daze. Another podcast. Another, another <laughs> podcast. Books, books we liked. I'm sure no one has done that ever. Um, I have another. So actually, when I first sent you the, the run sheet, when we were first kicking around the idea for this podcast, and I had the thing about opening questions, I just had some generic ones, like what it would be. And one of them was about Roy Kent being a good uncle. So I, I, I pose the question to you, is Roy Kent the TV uncle you'd most like to have? There's some other notable ones, just so you don't have to go off the top of your head. There's obviously just Uncle Jesse, Uncle Phil. Yeah, I was going to start with uncle, him, yeah. <laughs> uncle Junior from The Sopranos, Uncle Fester, if you want to get weird with it. I was going to say Uncle Jesse for sure. Um... No, I love Roy as an uncle. What I love is when he points out his niece for the first time, he calls her that idiot over there. And then when she sees him and she waves, like he gets the biggest smile on his face. So you instantly get to see like it's typical Roy, like his gruff personality. And then, oh, he loves her. And he you can tell he really loves that role for her or to her. Rather. He seems like a really sweet and caring uncle. And just in terms of the TV uncle I'd most like to have, like it would be sick to have an uncle who's a star professional athlete, but who's also like not an asshole. And not, I mean, Roy has it, but like not an asshole to you or your family. Like Roy is a doting yeah. uncle. Yeah, no, I think he's, and you especially see in this episode, even though you get to only see them in two scenes, uh, I really think just that first scene where he calls her the idiot and then the last scene, which I won't spoil right now. We'll get into that later. Um, but when he's reading to her in bed, I just think that's really, it's lovely. It's adorable. You love to see it's, it. Yeah. He is a, he's a real gem and, and uncle, it's a gem. So let's, let's roll into best scene. Picking the best scene in this one is going to be a problem. We were, we were talking Impossible. before this. This is a loaded episode. I want I give you the floor. Uh, I know you love the intro we get to Rebecca in this one. I, it's so hard for me to even talk about this episode. So just to establish at the forefront, I think this is the best episode of the entire season. And I know a lot of people will disagree. I don't think it's an objective statement. I think we're all going to have our own favorites. But to me, I could watch this episode over and over and over and never get tired of it. It surprised me how much good stuff was in this episode. I know. And it starts like from the beginning, you see an alarm clock going off at 6 a.m., 
And then you see a fully dressed, showered, ready Rebecca opening her curtains. So she woke up way early and she's like winning the day. (laughs) And if you remember in the last episode, we ended on the photos of Ted and Keeley and she thought exposing these in the paper um, was going to bring him down. So this is supposed to be kind of the next morning and her just being so excited to take a huge shot at Ted. It's just such like a, you can tell she is just so excited. Like this is what she's been waiting for, for, you know, basically ever since she hired Ted, because she thinks this is going to be the move that brings down the house of cards and makes her ex-husband so mad. And then it doesn't show. And you get her calling Higgins while Higgins is eating with his family and lying and saying he's downstairs. (laughs) I know what I love the most about that. So of course I love that she tells Siri to call shithead. I think. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that he has like the old piano ringtone that da da na na na. I thought that was just so well done in terms of his character. And he's sitting at the table with his children, like trying to have family time. And he's like, oh no, yeah, I'm at the office. <laughs> I'll meet you there. I just, I love Higgins. I think he's, he's under appreciated he's the perfect whipping post for rebecca he really is the next scene uh i like when nate gets to give them his play idea and because he had it in his pocket with never with the intention of showing anyone because even though he's been getting treated better by ted he's still very much of the uh has no confidence will never say anything to anyone so nate was walking around with this play idea in his pocket never with the intention of showing anyone, and also a bunch of other scraps of paper in his pocket which was funny Guys on night? Uh, no. Uh, so, uh, no. No. God, no. Never mind. I'm sorry. Come on <laughs> now. You're one of us. Let's go. Fire away. What do you got? Okay. Right. It's just, um, oh, no, in the pocket. It's just something that I thought of. Um, sorry. Oh, not that one. It's, you know what? It's not very, even very good. It's probably really bad. You know what? It's embarrassing, even. I'm just... sorry, Nate. I have a real tricky time hearing folks that don't believe in themselves so i'm gonna ask you real quick again do you think this idea will work yeah i do whoa why are you screaming at us Nate? we're right here that was funny i lo- he's like oh no the other pocket <laughs> that, was, that was just so cute because you're right he did have it he had it like at the ready for some reason even though like in his mind he would never think he would be asked to provide that but clearly he's passionate enough about it that even if he's keeping it a secret to himself and when he brings it up i i think this is one of the best moments for ted and coach beard and ted's like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry nate i have a tricky time hearing folks who don't believe in themselves <laughs> because he's he's been very soft spoken and then nate barely speaks up and both Ted and Coach Beard like fall on the ground and they <laughs> like, why are you screaming at us, Nate? The Ted and <laughs> Beard so chemistry is just phenomenal. It's wonderful. It's really, really good. It's kind of what a, we've gone back to the past couple episodes is that having Beard there, someone who is fully bought into all of Ted's bits and his, you know, the, the way he goes about things and just having that person to cement in there that like this stuff works and he's not just this, this solo, odd, untested oddball. It's such a it's such a good choice to have Beard there along with Ted, and that kind of rolls into when Roy walks in the office and and tells them, you know, brings up the harassment uh, that you know that Nate is getting, and you get Ted's whole thing about I learned learned two pretty big lessons, but it's it's a real lesson. Is like the teacher <laughs> tells a bully not to pick on someone; it's only going to make it worse. Yeah, and you can tell that angers Roy because 
it, you know, it, it shows that he's a natural leader because he knows that something needs to be done. But the fact that he's irritated because all he knows in his head is just, well, you're the main person, you need to handle it. Like, he, he still doesn't see himself as a leader of the team, you know, even though he's the veteran and older and everything. And he gets mad at him. He's just like, okay, I guess you won't do anything. And it feels like he has to take it on himself. And that leads into the book scene, right? Or was the book scene before that? I, I think it does. I think it does lead into the book scene because that, that's when he walks out and, and Ted tells Coach Beer like he's the one. And we've kind of known that for a couple yeah. episodes of like Roy's going to be the one to uh, to first really have to buy in because it's obviously there's there's two there's two big big characters on the team. There's Jamie, who you obviously know is never going to buy in, and then there's Roy. So it it's just Ted, you know, saying what we're thinking. Yeah, and the thing about I can't remember the quote exactly, but he said if we're going to do, he essentially tells Coach Beard if we're going to do well here we have to get to him first. Like his, what is it? His heart is the first domino that has to fall or something. It's very well done. I should have written it down, <laughs> but it's, it's a good line where he clearly says like, he knows Roy's the one who can influence their success. Yeah. I think, I think that is the books because they're, they're all in the locker and then Jamie junks is because Jamie as is established is a piece of shit. Um, Trent Krim visits practice. Uh, so this, this, scene is I think so far in the show you don't think that anything bad is going to happen to Ted like he always he always can escape from anything because of his good nature I think with that practice it makes you think that Trent is just going to kind of come for like come for that ass and you're kind of worried almost that like when Ted says the thing about you know oh yep that's Nate Nate drew up display and stuff like that and you're just like oh my god Ted like you're gonna get crucified in this paper it was the first time watching the show where I was like oh shit he he might actually like have a problem here with Trent Krim. Yeah, and what's interesting is like, and I don't think it's the same scene. I think it was the scene before that. This is the first time we actually get to see Ted coach at all. So even though he's like observed them at practice, you see where he stops them and he's like, we need to work on the transition from offense to defense. And you're like, okay, like this is, there are sports happening here too. And yeah, I mean, Trent, I think has established himself before this episode as smart guy, typical like successful sports columnist who's so cynical because he knows that coaches are going to talk a lot of bullshit most of the time so like I can relate to that as a sports journalist I understand Trent Krim you know probably better than most because you're so used to getting um lied to honestly I mean you're just used to getting you know dealing with PR people and publicity and not really getting to uh the people you want to talk to and so yeah I think I had the same fear when I watched it and Ted doesn't even know what Nate's job is. And then Coach Beard has to tell him he's the kit man. <laughs> and Trent Trent says, do you mean to tell me that you're putting the future of this club in the hands of the kit man? <laughs> it's so good. And Ted is completely like, yeah, that's exactly, you know, he he's just, he's all 40. He sees nothing wrong with it. And Trent has, Trent has the cynicism. He also has like what I call cool divorce dad energy, like, He's, yeah. he's, he's real even keel and chill, but he, he's also just seen, he's also seen some shit. And which we have to, and if you already mentioned this, forgive me, but we have to remember this is the, you know, before Trent shows up, we see that Rebecca finds out that the pictures aren't going to run until the next day. And what she does instead is negotiates with them of this profile that Trent is supposed to write about Ted. And she thinks in her mind, this is so much better than a tabloid thing because 
the community is getting behind him whether they win or lose. So we need to make him look like a total idiot so they won't get behind him anymore. And so it's all set up where Trent is supposed to just set him on fire. And that's what you're just kind of holding on to the whole episode. Yeah, and that's that practice. You think you really think it's going to happen. And then I think that kind of I think even at dinner, you, you kind of feel like, wait a minute, that I, I think I think Ted, like everyone else in his life, has has won him over. Um, the next scene I've got is just, uh, you You tweeted a gif of this today, I believe, or maybe yesterday, of when Keely is pushing Roy's buttons. Because we, oh, we've we got some foreshadowing. <laughs> we've got uh, Brett Goldstein's Ted Lasso impression, which is which is fantastic. But the new gaffer's trying to make me feel responsible for fucking Nate, whose last name I don't even know. It's Barnes. No, it's Shelley. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't like being tricked. Not by you, and not by... How do y'all cowboys? My name is Ted Lasso, and I'm from Kansas. Wow. Oh, you're, like, really, really bad at impressions, man. I know he's trying to push my buttons, but I cannot be manipulated. Incredible. Like, I, it's a video that I just took on my TV that I shared because, you know... Up to this point, it, people don't, they don't know Brett Goldstein's body of work. I just mean people in general. So they've only seen this guy as just being very mad and not silly at all. And then all of a sudden, he breaks into, howdy, y'all. I'm Ted Lasso, and I'm from Kansas. <laughs> and I, it gets me every time. It is consistently funny. It never gets old. I think it's so brilliant. And I think that scene also, you you kind of see where things are headed for Roy and Keeley as well. Oh, totally. It's hardcore flirting. It's like they're not even hiding it at this point. He's in front of her shirtless, and they're having cute banter, and he's pretending to be very mad, and she even throws that in his face. <laughs> She's like, I'm Roy, and I play a game, <laughs> but I'm mad all the time. <laughs> and I think it's it's adorable. It's like their little... um. Similar to like a meet cute, that kind of energy, like in a rom-com. Mm-hmm. And she is so good, especially in this. And she's also good in the next scene I've got, which is a kind of it, kind of deep, especially for like the conversation she has with Rebecca about the media's treatment of, of women versus men, especially in a, in a scandal where it was Rupert who was the, you know, the, the person well in the wrong and Rebecca got all this grief for it. And what does she say? He looks like Prince, like Prince fucking charming or something like that. Like it's not a long conversation, but it's one of the most authentic conversations in the show. It is. And this is where it's another like latching on moment. I think for me, um, and you know, in the first episode, like I've got a lot of texts about this this week from people who just started the podcast and they keep laughing at my question, is it a feminist triumph? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I have a lot to back up my point. And it's all it's all predicated on this situation that Rebecca's in where she's been made to be embarrassed by something she didn't do. And that's where the bitterness comes from. That's where the resentment comes from. Is he's the one who did, her ex-husband's the one who did something wrong. All she's trying to do now is get revenge so she can move on with her life. But the fact that Keely just comes in, like, kicks her shoes off, sits down. You can tell Rebecca is very, like, you know, it's it's a little off-putting. She's like, what are you trying to do here? Um, and then Keely can be very disarming. So they start talking about, you know, it's not fair what happened to you. And what's funny is even though Rebecca orchestrated this whole Trent Krim expose situation, she says the press never go after the men the way they do the women. 
And and she's absolutely right. I mean, maybe this is one of my favorite episodes because it really gets into journalism and tabloid journalism. <laughs> but um, I would say you could compare that to stories we've had here. Look at Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. That's exactly what I was thinking. And and I'm not going to get into all that <laughs> on this podcast. But that, that's a different. That's another different podcast. That's another. We have so many podcast ideas. We can do that so on the book I podcast. Was... We can we can chop those up. <laughs> So I was 12 when that story broke. And what I remember about it most was all the late night hosts and like Saturday Night Live, everybody making jokes about Monica. They made jokes she was fat. They made jokes about the details of their relationship. While Bill got to be Slick Willie, right? He got to be this cool, suave guy that even though it was understood that he was embarrassed, um, Monica was still the target of a lot of that. She was in her early 20s and had the most powerful man in the world influencing her. I'm not excusing anybody's behavior. I also don't care about anybody's sexual behavior. Let me just say that right now. Do what you want to do. But she was made out to be this villain who like tried to seduce the president when she was brilliant, very bright, very bright woman who had her entire life dismantled because they needed to take the heat off the president of the United States. Obviously, it's not a it's not a direct comparison to what's happened to Rebecca and Rupert, but when we talk about the press and the way that things are framed or just life in general, it it tends to always come back on the woman. She's the home wrecker. She she must have done something to make this man cheat on his wife or his girlfriend and it's just bullshit. Well, and even the the brief headlines you see about Rupert are not shaming him for what he did. Like we see one I think it's an episode one that's like he gets the she gets the the boys or something. He gets the blondes or something like that. But it's not it's not shaming him or anything like disgraced husband loses soccer team that he loves dearly. It's like, no, he just he's going to hang out with good looking women. Yeah, I mean, the headline because it's talking it was covering Ted Lasso arriving and the headline was he gets the bimbos. She gets the bozos. That's the one. Yeah. And like, oh, it just flew all over me. And I think. Again, you know, I love my feminist rants. <laughs> I'm not trying to do that here. But it, I don't want to generalize, but I think so many women can love this show because it addresses so many of those issues. Even if it doesn't get a lot of airtime, it's still there. They're not hiding that. They're not covering that up because they have to expose what's motivating Rebecca. But they also have to expose what's happening to Keely being in this obviously very shallow relationship with Jamie. Because um, there's clearly more to Keely than just being some athlete's girlfriend. Yeah, and this is the episode where they make her out to be more than the girl, where we realize she is going to be more than just this kind of character who pops in every now and then. Like she's actually going to be a major player in this season. Um, yeah, yeah. The next scene I've got is spoiler alert. My favorite scene. It is when when Ted and Roy go to school. Uh, if season two oh, is God, just yeah. Roy Kent speaking to kids, I'm all in. I would watch 10 episodes <laughs> of that so fast. It's so good. And, you know, Trent, the cynical journalist, which I get, when Ted tells him, like, we're about to go. You can come with us. He's like, oh, how? what a coincidence. You're going to talk to school children the day I'm writing a profile on you. Which is ridiculous because we already know Rebecca set it up, like, that day or the day before. So it's not like Ted had a lot of time to plan. Um but then they, yeah, they go to this local school where we don't know it yet, but Roy's niece is there. We find that out a little later. Ted kind of talks to him, but he hands it over to Roy because he knows that's the one they all want to see. And Roy says, I, what did he say? I don't like public speaking or schools. 
never really cared for it, never saw the point. And then you'll have to do the sound clip with the line because I can't remember. A proper something. fuck about. <laughs> yes, a proper fuck about. And everyone just, <gasps> and then there's that moment where you're like, what's going to happen? They all start applauding. It's beautiful. And he's happy. You can tell he's in his element when he's around those kids and he's around his niece. It's very heartwarming. Sequel to Daddy Daycare, but it's Roy and Ted. <laughs> I'd watch ten it. of ten I would watch, would watch that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Trent also explaining a wrinkle in time is great because we were talking about books from our youth. Uh, I did not have to read a wrinkle in time for school, and I have never checked it out. So without Trent explaining, I would not have would not have really gotten why uh, why Roy had to read that book. So I I was very thankful that Trent clued me in on that. Enough. I've had it with your mind games and your stupid gifts. I mean, what even is a wrinkle in time? It's a lovely novel. It's the story of a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership as she journeys through space. Yeah, that's it. Am I supposed to be the little girl? I like you to be. Yeah, and I think because we have the book scene and we can clearly see they all get different books, but we don't really get to see all of them. You just see a little bit. It's smart writing to have the writer who's... Clearly, you know, he's not a tabloid journalist. Like, he's very well read. He's a respected columnist. To explain it enough so people understand, oh, Ted gave them each individual books because he's trying to pull something out of them. This wasn't just some weird mind game, as Roy puts it. Um, because that's when Trent explains it. That scene is like Roy suddenly gets very frustrated after having this great day with all the kids. I don't like your mind games or your books or whatever. What even is a wrinkle in time? And then Trent is this perfect moment of, well, actually, it's a lovely novel. And it's about a girl who has to learn how to, to be a leader, even though she's not prepared to be a leader. Um, so it was, yeah, I just thought it was a really slick way to do that. It was. what I, I, just, I just had to Google. I'm trying to figure out which... So he get oh yeah so he gives Jamie the beautiful and the damned by F Scott Fitzgerald now book I did read in school the Great Gatsby huge fan uh, big fan of of F Scott's work in that one I have not read the beautiful and the damned have you no but I think it's one of those books too and this is also very smart by the writers I don't think you have to read this book to understand the point uh, just with the cover the beautiful and the damned <laughs> I mean if that doesn't describe Jamie like that's again it's just very smartly constructed to where you don't have to be familiar with that book to find it at least illuminating about Ted like his decisions why he's giving people different books and clearly we already know Ted has established Jamie as somebody who's so talented but he's so obsessed with his own talent that he doesn't understand how to use it properly. The Beautiful and the Damned has been described as a morality tale, a meditation on love, money, and decadence in a social documentary. That, yeah, yeah, yeah Jamie, Jamie could use a little bit of that. He could use a lot of things. <laughs> has Jamie ever read a book? No, there's no way. No chance, no chance. The next scene I've got is Dinner with Ted and Trent. Uh, Trent's face... When he gives that look when Ted says, I've never had Indian food. And you know, right? You see on Trent's face, like, he knows Ted is in deep, deep, deep trouble. Yeah. So they go to this restaurant, which, throwback to episode one, um, it's the driver of the car who picks them up at the airport. It's his father-in-law's restaurant. And so he comes in and Ollie, that's his name, he, he goes oh my God, you're here. And Ted's like, well, yeah, you invited me. He's like, I, I invite everybody that I drive <laughs> in my car. And, you know, and Ted's just 
Ted's one of those people, one of those characters is very comfortable everywhere he is. So you wouldn't think like, oh, he's never eaten Indian food before. And then when he tells Trent that and sees that there's no concern on Ted's face at all, like you can see we're breaking Trent down a little bit to where, like we already were, in my opinion. I think you can kind of see him softening, but he realizes like it's not an act and it's not mind games and Ted's not trying to be some simpleton. Like he's so sincere, it's painful. And literally in this scene, it was painful because Ted ends up ordering the hottest food imaginable. He said, make it like we're members of the family and Trent can't take it and he has to leave. (laughs) Such a bad call by Ted, but such like an incredible, genuine thing to do. He has the quote in this dinner. For me, the success is not about wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field is literally the definition of a good coach. Every single coach from T-ball all the way up should be given that quote. And it's like, if if this is not what you're trying to do, you're in the wrong profession. Yeah, and we we already know there are a lot of coaches who do not give a shit about that. Um, successful ones who do not give a shit about that. And so, again, Ted's like, even though in our society, like it just shows how low our bar is, he's the ideal like person in his role that we should want. You know, he's the great father. He's a great friend he's a great coach and he at no point you could tell at no point is he concerned with wins or losses and you know of course later in the season coach beard has some opinions about that (laughs) but um you know i think trent suddenly gets it and he realized like this you know when you're a journalist i just and i hate to harp on this but it's true you're just used to people lying to you because your job is to find out whether they are your job isn't to take people's quotes down and deliver them and say, well, according to this person, this happened. No, your job is to take that, verify whether it did. And so a lot of journalists around the world, but especially in our country, have lost their way on that. And they will just report anything that they're told and say, oh, well, even if it's wrong, we just said according to, so what does it matter? Trent is clearly one of those old school journalists who's like, I'm going to figure out what you're hiding. And... I think in that scene, he really sees like Ted is willing to go through a lot just to make someone happy. And just because he said in the first episode, I'll come, I'll be there. And he shows up for that reason that he said he would. Ted is literally willing to burn his face off to to honor <laughs> his word. And that's and that's when it goes into the, the last scene. I, I love how this episode ends with the narration of, of Trent's article. You get that, it's a great montage, Ted shaking hands with all the people in town while you know that his mouth is just melting. Uh, Roy walking into that club, headbutting those guys, <laughs> admitting that he doesn't see well at night anymore, which is sneakily like the funniest <laughs> line of the, the show and getting and that. getting the attention of Keeley. Uh, with the, you know, when he just, Keely, and you oh, can yeah. tell she's looking, it's very much, it was uh, it was a parallel. Of the, she perks up. Yeah, it was a parallel of the scene from <laughs> Bull Durham. When Crash leaves Annie's house at the first night where she is having, like, technical weird kind of tryouts with, with Crash and Nuke, and she asks Crash what he believes in, and he goes into that monologue, and then he leaves, and she says, oh my, and she's still sitting there, N- Nuke is still sitting there next to her. And that's exactly where Keely is with with Jamie, who in this case is is Nuke, but but a worse person. But I had to, if I could bring Bull Durham into Ted Lasso, I had to do it. But I I love I, was gonna <laughs> I had I had to I had to draw that parallel. But and and then it ends with Rebecca reading this and just in disbelief that she, her plan has been foiled again by the authenticity of Ted Lasso. Whether that means allowing followers to become leaders 
or in a show of respect, eating food so spicy it's sure to wreak massive havoc on his intestinal system. And though I believe that Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, I won't gloat when it happens. Because I can't help but root for him. <sighs> Fuck! Yeah, and like to back up if it's okay. Um, back on up. To, yeah, to go back to Roy being at the club. So the reason he's there, even though it's a very unrealistic thing, we see a scene with him in, in bed with his niece. So clearly this isn't just him randomly showing up at her school kind of uncle. He is an uncle who's very present, who's very active with her. He's reading A Wrinkle in Time to her, and they finished the book magically in hours. about to say, which... they're super deep into that book. <laughs> that know. was the only thing and I had in this episode that didn't work. Does Roy that didn't work, yeah. like that? I know. And so he finishes, and obviously he has the revelation. Like, he realizes what he has to do. He realizes what Ted's trying to teach him. Like, you are a natural leader. You don't have to be Jamie to lead this team. You just need to be the one who understands, like, it's supposed to be you. Um, and then he goes to the club where all or like Jamie and Keely and all the young kids are and headbutts him, which is funny because that's what he was doing with all the kids was doing headers with them where they, I, I don't know the terminology. What's it called when you hit the soccer ball? I think it's a header. Head. Yeah, I think he had A header, right. yeah. So, um, and then he ends up doing that to his own teammate. And like you said, he's like, my eyes don't see as well anymore. And so this is like as the episode's coming to a close and we see things getting wrapped up. But again, it's it's a wrap up, but it's also showing some forward motions. So we take that scene and we know, OK, Roy is going to have a bigger role with the team now. We know he's going to have a bigger role in the show. And we know Keely is going to leave Jamie for him. It's very clear <laughs> that's going to happen. Hello, Roy. I didn't know it was a retirement party. <clears throat> Stop messing with Nate. Now, I don't know which one of you are nutted because I don't see so well at night anymore, but that goes for all of you. Um, anyway, yes, but go on about the, the last scene when we we get the advanced copy of uh, Trent's article. Yeah, it's, it's with it starts out with Higgins reading it, and then it's Trent reading it, but you just see Rebecca has, you know, has learned that, again, it's failed, but I just, I love that it, it's just a wonderful bookend of, like, Trent, is so incredulous. Like he is the is this a fucking joke guy from episode 1. And he's he is not bought in on Ted Lasso's success, which I kind of like that. He's not bought in of like it wasn't Ted is going to AFC Richmond's in great hands. Ted's going to be really successful. We're going to win a lot of matches. We're not going to get relegated. It was an endorsement of of the person, which is a lot of what this show is about is is believing in people and the goodness of people and the goodness of its central character and and i i like that it wasn't just a complete 180 by trent of just hey you know we're good ted's great this is all perfect yes it was very well done because if it had been this cheesy like i was wrong he's great thing then i i probably would have lost interest because i would have been like okay they didn't even try <laughs> it's the nuance of the show i think that keeps us going when he's you know, Trent is smart enough. He's been in the business long enough and he's watched enough sports to know. He's like, they're not going to win. They're going to be relegated, but I'm not going to gloat about it when it happens. And that's a win. That's a huge win. Just because it shows, number one, Ted's sincerity is not going to be easily manipulated by Rebecca. And it shows that, you know, he is a good person. But it also shows Trent, I, I think, as a, in a better light because the moment in the Indian restaurant when he says to Ted, like, you 
this is irresponsible. You can't do this. This team means something to these people. Um, you know, I think it's the ideal for every aspiring sports journalist to, you know, you come up through the ranks and you cover the games, but eventually you want to get into the stories about how these games and these teams affect people. And so you kind of see like a tender moment there where Trent's saying like, I don't hate you because I want to hate you. It's just, I care about what happens to this team because I care about this community and this is what my life's work is. And then you hear the column and it's, yeah, I loved it. I just thought it was very, it was very good and it was realistic in terms of what I think a good columnist would write about him. It was a fantastic ending to a fantastic episode. This is a tough question. What is the best scene in this one for you? Uh, let me let me look at my notes. I wrote like four down. So let's see if I can pick one. Oh, I don't know. I guess I would have to say the Indian restaurant just because that's when we truly see the extent of Ted's kindness and the fact that it's not showy kindness. He doesn't show up and start yelling like, where's my friend Ollie? I came because I told you I'd be here. He just sits down and he just shows up and Ollie says, oh, you came. I can't believe you came. And he's like, well, you invited me. I think that says everything about Ted and who he is. And that's when Trent starts to turn to. So I'm going to say that's the best scene. There's not really a wrong answer with best scene in this one. though. There really the, isn't. This, is, this so episode good. is solid front to back. Let's take a quick ad break and then get back with our funniest one liner. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Funniest one-liner. I am going to defer to you. I actually have... I wrote down fewer than I did in the first two episodes as far. And again, it, it is tough to compete with uh, the Liam and Noel line from episode one. Um, so I wrote down fewer. This this episode is more on the endearing side than the laugh out loud hilarious side, I think, in, in my point of view. But it's still very funny. What was, you, what was your favorite? Well, I think, okay, so I have a favorite one-liner. And then I have a favorite, like, under the radar, you probably didn't catch it joke. So for some reason, again, it's just my sense of humor. Do you remember, okay, it's the scene where he and Coach Beard are in the office, and I can't remember how they get into this conversation, but oh, it's it's after they're at practice, and Ted tells him, if you out if you don't outrun me, you're going to have to do double the laps, and then they come back in, and he's like, a lot of y'all are a lot faster than me, but not Coach Beard. He's like, what, you didn't run track in high school? And Coach Beard says, chess, chess team coach, <laughs> Illinois, he, he says, Illinois state champs. And and I didn't catch this until the last time I watched it, which is probably the eighth or ninth time I watched it. 
Ted walks in. It's so subtle. He's like, Illinois is a state, fellas. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just think that's so funny. And then for me, again, this is kind of my nerding out episode, but where Trent first shows up when they're at practice. And, you know, we know by now that Coach Beard's kind of a man of few words. And when he does say them in his, like, in the coaching capacity that it's significant. So when Trent asks him, asks Coach Beard, what do you think of Nate? And he looks at him and says, good kid, in Ted's face. He's like, oh, my God, that there's your story right there, the headline, man nods head. But here's the line that gets me, and I cackled when I heard it. He says, watch your back, Gay Talese. There's a new iconic profile about to be typed up by one Trent Krim. And maybe this is common knowledge to everyone, but I don't don't know. Gay Talese is a prolific feature writer, has been around for decades. He wrote a piece called Frank Sinatra Has a Cold that really put him on the map for Esquire magazine in 1966, I want to say. He's definitely one of my favorite feature writers. Most people do not know that. Most people are not you know, nerding out over old magazine articles or even writers like that. And so, again, it's one of those moments where I feel like the writers put it in for themselves and their own amusement <laughs> because it makes no sense. But I I loved it. And as somebody who, who loves Gage Elise's work, I just thought it was incredible. There's another line from that same kind of moment that gets me. And it, it's because I'm a, I'm a child when uh, he points, he asks, who's Nate? And they point at Nate. And Nate is down the field and goes, found another poo. I know. <laughs> like, he, he's really smart. Which is his introduction to, uh, to Trent Krim. Interesting play, Ted. Did you come up with this? Oh, no, no, no. This is all cooked up by our very own Nate the Great. Who's Nate the Great? Oh, yeah, there he is. Someone's been walking the dog here. Found another poo. Okay. A great... Uh, a great Ted and Keeley moment. We haven't really talked about when Keeley comes to him with the uh, oh, with the, the picture. And and it's the headline where Keeley's talking about headline kind of feeds into the conversation she's having with Rebecca later about how, you know, headlines and, and how things get depicted. But and she's talking about the rhyming, but Ted said, you know, I would caption that picture as manager innocently feeds young woman whose relationship <laughs> does not define her. And her headline is uh, what was it? Jamie's tart breaks tart's heart. <laughs> it's like a perfect British tabloid headline. That's actually so. My when we get into like the British American culture moment, that was actually my pick for that. But that was that was mine as well. So we, I mean, that's that was really the only thing I had for that is the is Keely talking about the rhyming nature of of British tabloid headlines. Yeah, the other one was what did she say? Lasso makes peso and creates team fiasco. <laughs> He said, did you just come up with that on your own? She's like, yeah, I'm cute as a button and I can ride my ass off. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> really good Keely episode. She's a, she's a force in this one. I also, I also like when uh, Rebecca tells Ted that she spoke to the owner of the sun and Ted very earnestly, you spoke to God? I know. <laughs> it's also, there's a moment like in the beginning where she says, I have a branding meeting and what does he say? He's like, oh, I always feel so bad for the cows, but you got to do it. Otherwise, they'll get lost. <laughs> and she just looks at him. He's like, if we were in Kansas, I'd be waiting on you to finish laughing right now. That is what a few of the listeners of this show have tweeted at us and let us know that that is, that is called Midwest Nice. Ted is Midwest Nice, apparently. That's a, that's, a, that's a brand, if you will. It is, yes. I So my mom is from 
Chicago, later lived in Michigan. Um, and she's not Midwest nice because she's been in the South too long. So she's like sneaky mean. <laughs> That's what happens when you go to the South is like you're just syrupy mean. Like, bless your heart. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, so I have a lot of relatives in the Midwest who are very much Midwest nice. Just down, like salt of the earth people who are so sincere, and I love that. I went to Iowa for a wedding one time, and everyone was lovely, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with that. <laughs> Is that your only Midwestern experience? <laughs> so it's Iowa, it's Iowa for one weekend for a wedding that I was in, and then uh, there was a team from a, a college in Wichita, Kansas, that was in our conference called Newman University, and I just want to shout out that place as a big fuck you because I hate <laughs> Wichita and Newman University. <laughs> you can't say that on a Ted Lasso podcast. <laughs> we always had to we always had to play them in February, and it was always cold there. And I can't I don't understand why anyone went there to play baseball in the cold. Oh so, my god, we're gonna they're gonna kick us off the air. Apologies, <laughs> apologies to Newman University, but it's building and the state of Kansas. <laughs> in the We're state sorry. of Kansas, sure, everyone is just like Ted Lasso. Sure, everyone is nice. Um, some, <laughs> something you mentioned earlier is we actually get to see sports. We actually get to see Ted coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. Ted telling the team that they need to get in better shape and saying anyone who loses to him has to run two more. Coaches love that shit. That is yeah. the most. That is such a. When I was a freshman, we had a co- we had a, a thing around our campus called the loop, and pitchers would always have to run the loop. It was like a mile, two and a half miles long. And one every now and then, our assistant coach would hop on a bike and say, "Anyone who loses to me, you know, has to has to run again." And he would go very slow. But we had we had one guy on the team who was a he was an incredible pitcher. He was also a chain smoker. He was in terrible shape. Generally, just kind of like a bad human. Uh, if you're listening, you know who you are. And he would always he would he would catch him every time and just it was like this given rule that if I catch anyone they have to run more except for this one guy because we just we know he's good for it on the mound he's just a terrible runner so I think Coach Beard would have caught caught a lot of us though but besides that another great point of the sports in this one is Roy letting Jamie know that because I think his quote is because his right foot was kissed by God he's looked up to and that's really how it that's really how it kind of naturally goes there's there's two types of leader there's the are two types of person who's looked up to and has potential for a leadership role it is the best player on the team or the most talented guy on the team and then it's the guy who's been around the longest and that's that's Roy and Jamie and clearly one of them is is you know, Ted is Mr. Miyagiing him into a leader, and then Jamie just is not ready for that. Yeah, and I think like obviously we find out later in the season that one of the reasons Jamie gets under Roy's skin so much is because he was Jamie when he was his age. Like he, he's more mad at him because he remembers being like that stuck-up, arrogant idiot because he was so talented. But at this point, we don't really know that yet. And so Jamie's just still the asshole while Roy's like the smart elder. Um, but there are moments, what gets me about Jamie, and I think, what's his name? Phil Dunster? Did I get Phil that Phil right? Dunster. Okay, I was going to say, don't put that in if I didn't get it right. The British cousin of Phil Dunphy. <laughs> That's actually good. Um, what I love about his performance throughout the season are the moments when, at first, you think he's almost breaking character but he's showing like his vulnerability so even that scene Roy Roy says your foot was kissed by God Jamie's face is suddenly very hurt and you can tell like it's hurt in like his way in terms of 
you know, he still had to work really hard. I mean, you can't just be like talented and sit on your ass all day and expect to be good at soccer. But you can tell like Roy has taken something from him in that moment. And then when it concludes at the club, and it's so subtle, but Roy takes a drink and he says, vanilla vodka, you're such a child. And Jamie looks so deflated. Like he's not an asshole. He's not being, you know, Mr. Big Shot. He knows that he's been owned, but he looks so upset, you know, because of the relationship that he, he's had with his dad and just the relationship he has with the game and his own personality. And that's what endears you to him eventually, even though he's awful. But he's awful in a way that you think probably comes with some redemption down the line we're a ways away from making like season two predictions or talking about season two but i i am almost more interested for what goes on with jamie in season two than i am kind of any other character because he's the one who's still not even close to through his character arc i just with this episode too i also just like that we're starting to get a real look at ted coaching and trying to improve the team in a way and because contrary to you know he says in at dinner with with Trent, you know, he doesn't care about wins and losses, but if we weren't seeing anything about if Ted was, if it was all locker room stuff and we were like, yeah, if Roy, you know, he makes Roy a leader, we'll be fine. We wouldn't really buy it as much. It, it's good that Ted is like, you know, I don't know soccer, but I, I do know these things that can help us win and I can bring these elements. So I, I like that we're actually getting to see some on field stuff. Yeah. And you're getting to see how he bridges that gap between off-field and on-field like how is he because you know if they had if they had never showed like any actual games or any practices I don't think this all of this would hold up as well because it would look like the creators of the show were like copping out and just saying okay we'll just make it all about what happens behind the scenes did you ever watch the show coach um it was uh what's his name um I'm so bad that, oh, is Craig that T- the old one Craig T. Nelson yes Craig T. Mr. Nelson Incredible. Uh, yes, and um, it, it was a brilliant – I loved it. I remember watching it with my parents all the time. He was coach at, what, the University of Wisconsin? Um, and you never, ever, ever, ever saw him coaching. It was always what was happening at home or in his office with his assistant coaches. And that's what was kind of funny about it. Um, and even though, like, sitcoms of that day, that was very – typical of like a multi-camera show you know you wouldn't see the actual action you would just see what happened behind the scenes it's good to have these kinds of episodes where you see them get involved in the mechanics of the game because we need to still know that's important and we need to still know that this isn't just like a fantasy that they're trying to tell like this could actually be somebody who exists you know this could be a a good coach so i love that absolutely absolutely what else worked in this one that we haven't dove into yet oh man I feel like everything worked. Well, there's no, there's one big thing I think didn't work, but I'll get to that when you get to that question. (laughs) I mean, so much, again, this is front to back, probably the best put together. Again, I was very surprised how much of my favorite moments from the season were in this, this single episode. I, one of the things I really liked that the show's doing and it's doing early is it doesn't rely on Ted for all of its relationships and character interactions. The show can stand on its own without Sudeikis and scenes like there's so many different dynamics that we could be completely fine with on their own like Rebecca and Higgins or Keely and Roy and Keely and Rebecca like even Roy and Jamie we could be fine with them even if they you know if they made a, a half episode with just those characters or just other dynamics like there's a lot of stuff that's standing on its own that's really really effective and the show 
it doesn't need Sudeikis to carry it, which in effect makes Sudeikis even more effective in, in each scene he's in. Yeah, you know, a very frustrating thing, at least from my perspective, I don't know if you've listened to, <laughs> what up, Brene Brown? I don't know if you've listened to her episode where she interviews Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt. I have not. Okay, so she does a whole show with them because she has discovered it at this point. I forget when it was recorded, but she was like, I think it had just finished. So it was like October. It had just wrapped. And she interviews them. And her first questions are the questions we ask each other, I feel like, every episode. Where she says, do you realize how people are attaching to this? Do you understand like what this is doing to people? And what's so frustrating is... Jason and Brendan are like, not really, no. <laughs> we have no idea. And she said, are y'all bullshitting me? Like, no. Like, we we know people like it on Twitter, but that's just a very small um, percentage. And then they said, and this is something I hadn't really thought about uh, beforehand, they're like, well, we, you don't get to see the numbers of how many times it's streamed. The fact that this isn't on TV, it's not on a, a like, measurable thing, at least that they're given they're like, we truly have no idea. We can see that it's a hit show. We hear people talking about it, but we don't really know how many people are plugged in. And it's a really, I encourage everybody, go subscribe to Brene Brown's podcast or just listen to that one episode because it's it's infuriating. I said frustrating. Let's get to the truth. It's infuriating that they have no idea. Like, I think they get it now. But when the show wrapped, you know, I think Jason was the one who said, you know, you create something that you love and that you're passionate about and you hope other people like it. But it's also a business where that happens a lot and they don't. So you never want to get your hopes up just because we feel like this could be a show that does X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that that's how it's going to be received. And I found that so interesting. That makes me so terribly sad that they weren't right away able to see like not only it's not even that it's successful. It's just how it resonates, like how it makes people feel. It makes people feel about themselves and it makes people want it. Like this is not, I'm, I'm not saying this, this isn't hyperbole. It makes you want to be a better person. It makes you want to talk to people in a different way. It makes you want to connect with people in a different way. Like it is a, is a legitimate, like motivational type show. It, it's, it's amazing. And I hope that I hope that now, over a year later almost, that that has finally sunk in and they've realized that they've created something that's a different kind of special. Well, I think too, this is something that they both addressed in that episode as well, and we've talked about it multiple times, is they kind of laughed at it because they're like, do you realize Ted's not a superhero? All he's doing is the basic right thing. (laughs) Like That's all he's doing is giving people basic kindness and consideration. Even though we see it as heroic in a way they bring up the point and i think it's a smart one to remember especially after the past four or five years our bar is so low for what we consider to be a good kind considerate person because we're just used to being pulled in every direction politically and socially and everything else and we're used to seeing examples of of wrongdoing every day and so you know, and I don't know if they said this or if this was something that I just thought in my mind as I was listening to it. I know that sounds a little crazy, but this happens a lot. <laughs> I'm like, they could have said it or I could have thought it. I don't know if Ted Lasso would be a huge hit if it were released in, say, the 50s and 60s. That's how all TV was. Everybody did the right thing. It always ended, you know, kind of perfectly wrapped. The fact that we've gotten so far away from that, that a guy who just shows basic kindness to people is amazing to us, I think it says a lot more about us than it does about the show. And I think that's kind of 
the whole again the whole point of why we're here yeah i mean without diving too deep into our last four or five years he's the complete antithesis of the person that we had forced into our skulls for every single day so that that certainly does help it um I want you to take what didn't work because it sounds like you have an absolute hammer of an answer for this. I do. And it's, I don't know if it's a hammer. It's like a light tap. Um, And I'm only passionate about it because this is my favorite episode and because I'm a nerd. It is absolutely, completely unrealistic, number one, that Rebecca could orchestrate a profile from somebody like Trent. Like, you can't... Look, I'm not saying it doesn't happen where you don't have publishers and editors who say, like, we need you to do this. A journalist like Trent would not have responded to a request like that because it's unethical. You you don't go to arrange things. Um, And number two, just the mechanics of it, he's supposed to write a profile on Ted. Do you know how long it takes to write profiles? It's funny that they even mentioned gay to because he would be the person to talk about it it takes months and months of interviews not only with him but with people around him it, it takes more than spending a day with somebody to write a profile or an expose or anything else what this was was a column and that's fine but it was just the fact that he turned it around in a night or not even in a night just in a few hours where higgins is like oh i've got an advanced copy of the article that's so unrealistic you just that's not how it works you need time like the best profiles cannot be written in a day that's why they're so good because it takes so much work and so much time and so many interviews and research to get them I mean the fact that Trent I can totally buy into him being a good thorough journalist the fact that he has never asked him about his family that people haven't asked about like what he left behind in America. It's pretty, it's public info that he has a wife and a child and we haven't gone into that. It's, it's a little much. I'm sorry. I've got a journalism police right here. (laughs) I hate to, and I mean, I I still love the episode, but that, you know, when it's your job, you, you notice those things. This is the exact kind of inside baseball I, I need on this podcast. That is that is fantastic. <laughs> I, I that completely flew over my head. That is fantastic. I have no, I have nothing further to add. Perfect, <laughs> perfect summation. Speaking of perfect, next category. Ted is perfect. What's the the most perfect Ted moment in this? Episode? My my gut instinct, no pun intended on this, eating the Indian food even though it's burning his face off. It is for me. That is the height of decency is I think eating someone's food, even if you are not, you're not enjoying, I mean, it's the ultimate predicament. It's, you know, you, you know, you go over to someone's house and the food is bad and eating and Ted, this isn't, the food isn't bad, but it literally might kill him or it might, you know, it's going to lead to a long, (laughs) lead to a long night that it is the height of it it just shows what a decent, kind, genuine person he is to shovel that food in his and he's even telling you know Trent like he explains it like no we gotta we gotta make a dent in this or it's gonna make him look bad to his you know to his father in law it is it is one of, one of the like sweetest moments I've ever seen on TV. No, I know, and it um, you know again it, like it reminds me a lot of my dad who passed a few years ago, but he was very much the guy who was like I don't care what kind of embarrassment you have to put yourself through or pain if you say you're going to do something, you have to do it. And that was the biggest lesson I got from him. 
But I don't think that was just my dad. I think that's dads in general and good dads. They're, they instill those lessons in you early on. And so I think Ted, I think Ted had, that was just a very dad generally like moment for him was, no, 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 we said we were going to do it. You just give me yours so you don't have to suffer. I will suffer for the both of us because I said I was coming here and I said to give me that and now I'm going to eat it. I mean, it seems so crazy to all of us, but it's truly just he said he was going to do it, so he did it. He didn't come up with an excuse for why. He didn't say, I can't feel my tongue, so I've got to go. He just said, is my tongue still in my mouth because I can't feel a thing? I mean, we are just so um, captivated by this guy who just does what he says he's going to do. It's the height of politeness. It is. Uh, it's, it's an incredible move. Uh, we already went over our favorite British culture versus American culture joke. The Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character. It's a good good episode for a lot of characters. We've talked a lot about uh, Juno Temple, Keeley. Uh, the, the Roy character development in this one is, is nearly unmatched. Great, great yeah. Brett Goldstein episode. Uh, solid Trent Krim episode. Um, I, I wrote down, I wrote down Nick Muhammad as Nate, just because I, I want to say again, found another poo that really tickled me. Uh, <laughs> who, who's, who's your go-to supporting character in this one? I'm going for Roy just because this, so much of the episode was, it hinged upon his growth, even in a small way. So the book was like such a great way to forward that, um, narrative and forward his storyline some more. Uh, plus, we get to see into his private life. We get to see that he's this adorable uncle who probably gives his little niece a lot of shit. But at the end of the day, he's reading a book to her in her little bed. And he's clearly very invested in people. There's a side to him we're not seeing. And we also see him professionally emerge as a leader. He realizes now, just because I'm not Jamie doesn't mean that I I shouldn't fill this void that we don't have. There needs to be somebody on the team who's standing up for other people, who's going to stand up for the right things. And that doesn't mean it has to be the coach. And um, I just think they did, well, he just grew a lot in one episode. They really found a way to advance him without making it seem too contrived. We love little glimpses into his personal life. We do. We love that. And we love sentimental moments. It's it's definitely Roy with an honorable mention to uh, Juno Temple as Keeley because great great Keeley episode. Um, the big chill moment, uh, I guess the big emotional moment in the episode. Uh, I for me it is Roy headbutting the guys, telling them not to pick on Nate. I actually I legitimately got the chills. I, that's a that's a moment I would. I, for me, I watch big chill moments a lot on YouTube just to you know just to make me feel alive. Like uh, the, <laughs> just so you can <laughs> feel something. <laughs> yeah, like one of like the the last <laughs> the last boxing round in in the movie Creed. I watch that all the time. It just it makes me makes me feel feelings. Roy headbutting the guys, telling him not to pick on Nate. Like that's a that that's a. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel feelings. Yeah, I really like that scene. For me, the moment is when. And I guess this may not count as a big chill moment because it happens right at the end. But it's when we hear Trent's voice reading the column, but he says, um, I can't help but root for him. And, it, you know, I just, we're so invested in this guy at this point. We're just so invested in him already in three episodes. And we see, like, and you can see it on Rebecca's face. This is going to take more than your silly tactics to bring him down because you're dealing with a genuinely good person. You're dealing with somebody who has the power to captivate a room without actually being that great at the job you hired him to do. And she didn't expect that. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only potential flaw in Rebecca's plan of, of getting him 
Rebecca could have thought in the back of her mind, like, Ted might actually win this guy over. He's won everyone else over except me. He might win Trent Krim over. But, I mean, I she had faith in Trent Krim's, Trent Krim's cynicism, so... That that was probably the move there. Last category, is this a hall or is this a one to five biscuits? I don't think there's any argument. This might be two boxes of biscuits. <laughs> it's like a whole shipment of them. Yeah, I mean, this question comes up every week, and I don't think we're ever going to change our answer. I really don't. But for the hell of it, sure, let's say five. <laughs> It's so hard to find serious fault with this show other than like personal, very subjective things. So I can, I feel like I can say that this is the first show I've ever watched where I feel like every episode is, is near perfect or like near five biscuits. I don't, I can't think of it. Like, I think I, I love the first season of true detective quite a bit. And there's, there's one episode in there where I'm like, yeah, that's three and a half biscuits. Yeah. Like I think, you know, and kind of going back into the, journalism nerd mode there are stories that I wrote years ago that I'll look back on and I'll say well you know the writing wasn't as sharp it wasn't as clear as it is now but the storytelling was there the bones were there I at least like I can be proud of like I knew where the story was going and I can see that there was a map and that's how I feel about the show is I'm not the person who is here to tell you about technical flaws or you know like shoddy editing in terms of you know things like that I'm just not that person but I do think I know storytelling very well, and I think that's why it's hard to find fault with these 10 episodes, because I think they were so smart in the pacing and the ways that they developed these characters and the ways that they told this story that it just, to me, it's such a triumph for that reason. There could be a million technical flaws that I would probably never see. That again, different podcast. <laughs> technical flaws of Ted Lasso. See, I don't want to hear that podcast. I'm not here for Ted Lasso. I'm not here for criticism. No, but I think like, obviously it's like bringing up Trent's story. I think we could see it fairly where it's due, but for the things that I want to get out of watching, you know, if I watch a movie or a TV show, it's because that's truly my downtime. This time I'm not someone's mom. I'm not someone's employee. I just, I have me time. So what I want out of that is to feel like I can invest in something that's going to pay off. And that's what this show ultimately does. The the payoff is always there. And I love that. A hundred percent. Another masterful episode of Ted Lasso. I'm grateful that we were were both here again to cover it. Alex, tell the folks again where they can follow you. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Alex McDaniel and everywhere else pretty much at Alex McDaniel. And then I'm on the podcast Ain't Slayed Nobody, which you can listen to on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, Ted Lasso, Rewatch, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Episodes of this rewatch are dropping every Monday. If you are a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm that is presented by Baseball America. Great interview tomorrow with a former ninth overall pick in Florida Gator, Carson Whitson. If you're a baseball fan, you will... That, that might that might interest you. If you're not, that means nothing to you. Uh, we will see you next week with Ted Lasso, Episode 4. Thanks for listening. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.